You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open the word of the gospel together. We turn to the letter of Paul to the church at Ephesus chapter 4. We're going to read the first 16 verses of that chapter. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. This morning we continue our series on Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the first letter. We turn this morning to chapter 12, and we begin at verse 12. And we end at verse 31. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Though we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be or the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Let's follow the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, last week, Wednesday evening, one of our Senior members, Sister C. Homan, died at the age of 85 years. During the last year of her life, she struggled with broken bones, failing eyesight, as well as with cancer. And finally, one would say the cancer claimed her life. And that means that for her, the struggle is over. For her, it is all gain. She has entered into the joy of her master. And meanwhile, for her family, there is an empty place. There is no longer a mother and grandmother to visit, to love, and to cherish. But for us as a congregation, too, there is an empty place. And indeed, you can say that the Lord has taken home unto himself this past week one of our gifted members. Perhaps you didn't know her. But for those of you who did, you will no doubt readily agree with me that she was one of those members whom the Lord endowed with the gifts of cheerfulness, gentleness, and contentment. In the almost 20 years that I was privileged to be her pastor, I never heard her complain. Not even once. When her husband became sick and died, when she lost the sight of her eye, when she had to move out of her home and away from her beloved garden, When she fell and broke an arm and a leg at the same time, even when she was told that she had cancer, she never complained. 
Everything that came from the hand of the Lord according to her was good. Even when it was bad. And these qualities, beloved, these qualities are gifts. They're gifts from the Lord. And they hook into that very topic that we were dealing with last Sunday afternoon. But then we turn to the first part of 1 Corinthians 12 and we were reminded that God's people are an endowed people. The triune God led by the Holy Spirit gives all manner of gifts to God's people then and to God's people today. And Sister Holman was living proof of that. But still, beloved, the Apostle Paul does not stop in our chapter with reminding the Corinthian believers that they are a gifted community. He goes on to explore this particular matter in some more degree. For there are more truths to explore here. There are more lessons for us to learn. And therefore, let us now also proceed to the second part of chapter 12, a part that begins, as we read in verse 12, and that ends with verse 31. I preach to you on the following theme, being a part of the body of Christ. And we shall see that this involves recognizing the unity of the body, esteeming the parts of the body, acknowledging your place in the body. Well, beloved, when you read the various letters of the Apostle Paul, you cannot help but notice that he loves to make comparisons. And that also applies when he deals with the church. At times he compares the church to a building, at other times he compares it to a field. He even compares the church to a bride. Yes, and here in our particular text this morning, he compares the church to a body, to a human body. And why does he do so? What is actually his motivation? Well, it appears to have everything to do with the fact that in this whole matter of gifts, he wants to stress the unity of the church. He wants to come across to the Corinthians and to us and tell us that fundamentally the church is one. She's one people, one congregation, one assembly, one flock. And in order to get that across, he now uses the analogy of a body. Take note, for example, of verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. In other words, although the church has parts innumerable, the first and the basic thing that you must not lose sight of is the fact that all of these parts form a unity. And that unity is like a living, breathing, functioning, working body. Now, of course, we know that, right? That's something we have heard more often. But do we always understand its implications? 
At the beginning of this service, we sang together from Psalm 81. And there mention is made of Jacob, of Israel, and we are even reminded about what happened to Israel in Egypt long ago. And then perhaps, perhaps as you were singing this, you said to yourself, here we go again singing this ancient stuff. Who cares about Jacob? Who cares about Israel? Why bother to sing about a captivity that happened thousands of years ago? We need to sing stuff that's current and contemporary and modern. But, beloved, if that's our reaction, and there is something flawed in our spiritual thinking, do you not realize that Jacob, whether you like him or not, happens to be one of our spiritual forefathers? Do we not understand that we are today the Israel of God? Do we not comprehend that every time we sing about Egypt and about captivity that we're being reminded and pointed to Jesus Christ who has rescued us from an even greater and deeper captivity. The church, beloved, is one. The history of the church is one history. The experiences of God's people in the past speak volumes and teach lessons today. One day we all hope to be in glory. One day we hope to join Sister Holman. And just who? Who do you think will be there? It'll be the saints of the past, Jacob included, and the present, and soon to be the future. One day, all of God's people will be there. Because the church is one. But then, of course, you might also want to ask, what is it that makes the church one? You'll notice that the Apostle Paul's answer is found in verse 13, where he says, it's the Spirit. For we were all baptized, he writes, by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Now this has always been a very controversial verse. Many words have been spoken and written about it and what it means to be baptized by the one spirit and Pentecostals, Charismatics, and Second Blessing people have laid special claim to this verse and used it to buttress their particular theology. But really, I do think that they're all guilty of one thing. And that is of reading far too much into it. But really, what is Paul doing here? He's reminding the Corinthians and us about Pentecost, about how the Holy Spirit came upon all the believers, about how he baptized each and every one of them. No one was bypassed. No one was forgotten. No one 
raised his fingers and say, I missed out. As it says in Acts 2 verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Surely you can say that being a member of the church and being a Christian, being a believer is, is all about having the Spirit. And it's the Spirit who regenerates us. It's the Spirit who enables us to say, as we saw last time, Jesus is Lord. It's the Spirit who turns our bodies into temples. Yes, and even more than that, it's the Spirit who who feeds and who nourishes all of God's children spiritually. Paul writes, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. And what that really means is that it is the indwelling Spirit who constantly invigorates and reinvigorates our lives. He's the one who causes fruit to grow. He's the one who grants gifts. He's the one who supplies strength for daily living. He enables us to persevere when the going in life gets very tough. If you wonder what it is that kept the Apostle Paul going in spite of everything, If you wonder what it is that kept a sister home and going in the face of sickness and death, if you wonder what it is that that keeps you and so many others going as you struggle with life's handicaps and hardships. Paul says it's the Spirit. The Spirit keeps feeding us and nourishing us and strengthening us. Oh, and then as he does, so notice something else as well. The world that we live in is a world with all kinds of divisions and barriers and obstacles. As people, we specialize in erecting and constructing barriers. But not the Spirit. If anything, you can say it's the Spirit who specializes in breaking down the barriers that we build. Paul says the baptizing spirit is in the uniting business. And it is that business that busies itself with dismantling racial and cultural and linguistic and social barriers. He mentions that the spirit takes Jews and Greeks and slave people and free people. And he makes them all one. He unites all their hearts and all their minds and all their spirits, and all their lives. In other words, beloved, in the church of Jesus Christ, there are many differences. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is the unity of faith that wins out, that triumphs, that dominates in the end. It's that unity that makes us colorblind. It's that unity that makes us see beyond social standing. It's that unity that surpasses all language hurdles 
and obliterates all economic differences. Long live the unity of the body, the body of Christ, and praise the Holy Spirit for that. But of course, beloved, the Apostle Paul is not finished. He goes on in verse 14 and he takes the next step. He says there, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. You might say he moves in verse 14 from the matter of unity to the matter of diversity. And he says there is this wonderful diversity in unity that needs to be accepted, embraced, and applauded. However, as with so many other gifts of God, the Corinthians had trouble with that. They didn't quite know what to do with all of this diversity in their midst. And that also explains why the Apostle Paul next launches into a number of almost comical statements. And you'll see that some of those statements have to do with inferiority. Look at verse 15 and following. If the foot should say, Because I am a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Or if the ear should say, Because I am an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. You know, there you have a case where some of the members in Corinth, they looked at their gift. And then they looked at other members around them, and they looked at their gifts, and they concluded that their own gifts were rather second-rate and didn't really count. If I were a hand or if I were an eye, I would be significant and I would be important. But because I'm only a foot or an ear, I'm a loser. I'm good for nothing. Maybe that's how some of you feel. You feel that what God has given you perhaps doesn't really matter, doesn't really count. Do you feel that you as a person have really nothing to contribute to the house or the growth of the church? Do you feel inferior to your brother or your sister sitting over there or over there in the pew? Well, then take heart, for you're greatly mistaken. No matter what your gift, it matters. It's meaningful. It's yours for a reason. You count. You know, some people might be inclined to look at someone like Sister Holman. And externally they might come to the conclusion that really she didn't count for much in the Church of Langley. Only one person out of more than 600. And old at that. And a widow. And an elderly widow, and an elderly widow living in Manoa Manor. Surely she had nothing to contribute. 
But how wrong that judgment would be. Ask your family and ask your friends. Ask the residents of Manila. Ask the staff. She had gifts. And they mattered. You could visit her and she'd cheer up your day. Sometimes you visit other people and they ruin your day. She made a difference. She enriched the body. And that's the point the Apostle Paul is making. And he even waxes comical and he says, imagine a situation in which the whole body is nothing else than one big eye or one huge ear. Can't you just picture that? You know, with computers, they can do strange and wonderful things today. They can take a picture of you, and they can take one part of your body, and they can blow it up. Now imagine if they take your nose, and they blow it up, and up, and up, and up. And it's so big, that the rest of your body virtually disappears. Or imagine they do that to your mouth or to your ear or to your eye. How do you like to be one huge, humongous eyeball? Well, isn't that grotesque? Isn't that a massive distortion? What a freak of nature you would be. How ugly. Yes, and also Paul says, how useless. He asked rhetorically, where would the sense of hearing be? Where would the sense of smell be? And the answer, of course, is nowhere. And then Paul adds, But in fact, he says, God has arranged the parts of the body, every single one of them, just as he wants them to be. If you're inferior, or you have feelings of inferiority, you should have them no longer. And of course, Paul here treats not only feelings of inferiority, but also of superiority. And the apostle tackles that issue in verse 21 with the words, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, well, I don't need you. Obviously, as far as we can figure out, there were some members in the Corinthian church who were quite secure, smug, and self-satisfied. And sure, they were members of the body, but they didn't really think that they needed the rest of the body. No, the body needed them. It needed their presence. It needed their input. It needed their contribution. It needed their money. And probably they even got together with some other members who were of the same opinion and they formed a little church within the church, a little holy club. 
And they look down on their long noses at those whom they consider to be the common members. And they said, we don't need you. You need us. And what does Paul say to them? How does he counter their arrogance? He reminds them that it's a serious miscalculation in life to render certain things in or disposable or dispensable and that it applies to the body too. Take a tooth. If you still have them, chances are you may have quite a few of them. And you might think, well, kind of dispensable, right? What happens when you get a toothache? You feel it through your whole body, right? It can really ruin your day. Or take a finger. We've got quite a few of them. Have you ever sliced one off? It's kind of small after all, kind of insignificant. You've got extra. But then think of how it impairs your life. And think of the pain that it causes. Size doesn't matter. In short, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that every part of the body, even those parts that we think are insignificant, they matter. You'll notice he points to less honorable parts that we treat with honor. I think he's thinking about the stomach. Stomach's not exactly an honorable part of our anatomy, but yet, boy, do we honor it. We honor it every day. Three times at least, and then times in between as well. And he points to presentable as well as unpresentable parts. And by presentable parts, he probably means human faces and how, in some cases, they need no special work. We may think they do, but they really don't. And by referring to unpresentable parts, he's no doubt thinking of the sexual side of our anatomy and how we cover up those parts of the body. All in all, beloved, the point that the Apostle Paul is making is that just as in the body, so in the church, there are no spare parts. There are no useless parts either. I know you're all thinking about appendixes. And you probably think to yourself, well, an appendix, useless part of the body. We've been hearing that for years. Just wait, beloved. Soon we're going to get another study done and it's going to tell us how indispensable the appendix was to the human body after all, except we just haven't discovered it yet. Every part matters. It all belongs. It all plays a role. It all deserves respect. It all promotes in one way or another the well-being and the, the functioning of the body. It's all interconnected and intertwined, the small and the large. What we think is important and unimportant. As Paul also writes, if one suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
And so, beloved, I would say to you, be careful how you view your gift or gifts and also be careful how you look and evaluate the gifts of others. Appreciate what God has given you. Esteem what He's given to others. Realize that for the body to function to its potential, it needs many parts. And for this church of Langley to function up to its potential, it also needs many parts. And so, beloved, the Apostle Paul makes his case. However, you'll notice there is still one part left in our text. That's a part where the Apostle Paul really comes at the believers in Corinth and at us today, and he says, as people of God, you really need to claim and to embrace what God has given you and how God has made you. And you need to do so with joy and with gusto. You notice how all of a sudden Paul exclaims now, you are the body of Christ. And by using that language, he means to stress that the church is more than people, more than parts, more than gifts, more than even a body. The church represents the body of Christ. Earlier, at the beginning of our text, back in verse 12, the flow of that verse may have caught you off guard. You would expect it to flow as follows. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body, and so it is with the church. You'll notice it doesn't flow that way. Instead, Paul writes... And so it is with Christ. Do you catch the absolute identification? The Apostle Paul is saying the church is not just any old and odd body. The church is not a social club. The church is not an insurance agency for heaven. The church is not a shopping mall. No, the church... It's Christ. She's part and parcel of Him. She's His new creation and possession. Yes, and in that church, that church of Christ, everyone counts. For Paul adds, and each one of you is a part of it. You all belong. You all have a place. You all have a role to play. And notice the Apostle Paul tries to get that point across by, by giving a list. He mentions apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, healers, helpers, administrators, tongue speakers. It's a long list. Very diverse. A lot of variety in it. 
And if you look at it, you see the spectacular and the mundane. You see those who are in the spotlight and those who are in the background. They're all different. But the important place is, point is, they all have a place. And what about you, beloved? What should you do in the midst of so much diversity? Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now that last verse can be misinterpreted. Some people read that, eagerly desire the higher gifts. In other words, you've got to climb up the ladder. But that's not what it means. Paul uses the expression, the greater gifts. So what he means to say is that the Corinthians as well as you and I need to actively pursue those gifts that will do the greatest good and have the most beneficial impact. In other words, do not be satisfied with doing and with being the bare minimum. Some people, some members are satisfied with that. They're in the church, but they only contribute when asked, pushed, or pressured. They lack spontaneity and enthusiasm. And then usually they complain the church doesn't do anything for them. But beloved, that's not the way. Realize what an immense privilege it is to be part of the body of Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Spirit. And then get to work in the body. Get to work thankfully, humbly, and expectantly. For truly God will bless you as he blessed our sister Homan. He will bless you with the gifts of the Spirit and he will make you a blessing to many. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.